Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we'll be talking about the Texas Rangers. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington. Here, all by my little self, in the studio by myself. Did I already say that? With Brian Elledge running the boards. Brian's here. There's no hey. no David Moore. Uh, there is, however, on the line, our old pal, Evan Grant, in Boston, eating up a lot of seafood. That was Brian booing, not me, Evan. You didn't, you, you know, you didn't use your, your old favorite line. Uh, our frequent guest, Evan Grant. <laughs> Evan's a little bitter about that, Brian. He hates that when we bring up that kind of stuff. Well, it's just because you're almost never in the studio, even when you're well, not on the road. Out, you know what? That's because I am out working and on the scene covering a baseball team so that people can get an accurate description of what actually took place. You from, your, from your social media feed, Feed. It seems like you're just out, you know, trying different foods well, around I the world. I have no idea what Brian's saying. <laughs> Brian was wanting to know what that thing was you were eating yesterday. I told him it was a lobster tail, and it had a bunch of stuff in it. It was probably only about 2,500 calories. It was a baked stuffed lobster that was stuffed with uh, scallops and shrimp and a lot of Ritz crackers. And because Ritz crackers... Um, don't have much butter in it. It also had a lot of butter added. Oh yeah, there you Real go. Real healthy. There you go. Oh my gosh. Well, it was it was the only meal I had that hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's okay then. That's all right. I'm glad you're having a good time eating good food in Boston. Did I see that Nancy Nichols is also in Boston? Oh yes, our good friend Nancy came up to uh, see me and. Eric and uh, I had dinner. She was at the eating of the lobster on Sunday night, and um, then we uh, walked back to where I was staying. And she decided to help a gaggle of geese cross the road, a busy road, I believe it was Commonwealth um, Commonwealth Ave. Um, and there were cars coming, and there's um, on her Facebook page now there is. Film footage of of her like stopping traffic <laughs> to allow these geese to cross the road because for anybody who knows Nancy, 
knows that she loves animals um, and probably loves them more than people, which isn't such a bad thought these days. Um, but also, she's a little bit crazy. And uh, yeah, that gene pool to, and that that Nichols gene pool is a little bit iffy, isn't it? It's not empty. It's it's I full said, of. Characters. I said iffy, not empty. Iffy, iffy. Oh, okay. <laughs> No, I it it is full of characters. There's no question about that. Holy cow! Uh, but yeah, we had a good time, and then she uh, she went to the game last night, and she saw her good buddy Eric, who she's been friends with for well over forty years. Um, and she uh, she bugged John Blake, which is always a good a, a good thing to do in a baseball game. Yeah, for sure, no question about that. So what is up? Dave Raymond and C.J. Nikowski learned on Saturday night. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, that, that is really something as uh, we were talking about beforehand, you know, we were at the Sherrington estate, uh, without power until about midnight last night. So I did not get to watch, uh, the, the Rangers play and uh, exercise this big win and in extra innings and in 11 innings. But of course you were there. So, uh, I'd like for you to kind of, uh, tell me a little bit about what happened. Well, I mean, I just, I don't know if it's possible to have a statement win in baseball. I know that's a big phrase in football. I don't know if it's possible to have one in baseball. But you go to a place where you haven't won in three years and face a pitcher who has dominated you really like no other for the last five years, um, and you immediately, in a in a battle of supposed aces, you fall down two nothing, two batters into the bottom of the first. Uh, and then you trail going to the ninth inning and rally to take the lead there, which is significant. But then give the lead, give away the lead in the bottom of the ninth inning, only to come back and win this in eleven innings and extend your lead over Boston, which right now is you know. The wild card race for the second wild card is the Rangers, Boston, and uh, Cleveland with with a little bit of Oakland mixed in. I don't know that you can have a more important kind of uh, character-building, momentum-building win than what the Rangers put together last night. It it was... uh, it was an important win on, on a number of fronts for this club and, 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 and got them off started on a very, very challenging stretch in the right way. And, and I think we'll talk about that a little bit more. But, you know, 21 of that started a stretch of 21 of their next 36 that are against legitimate AL contenders. And it's going to determine whether or not this team really is going to be a a, a surprise and be in the mix until the end of the season or whether by the middle of July, John Daniels will be exploring, okay, what what pieces can I get value for? Yeah, there's a lot of decisions to make, and one of those is Mike Miner, who, uh, who has pitched well all year long, uh, but he had a run there of about six or seven games where he couldn't get past the sixth inning. He got his pitch count up too high and uh, was just not working deep enough in the games, which is not good for your number one. Your number one is supposed to be able to to kind of uh, free up your bullpen a little bit, give you seven, eight innings, uh, you know, not all the time, but at least fairly regularly. So for him to come back, as you said, from that uh, going down 2-0, two batters into the game, 0-2, two batters into the game, uh, and then uh, uh, to give you eight innings, 
uh, that probably to me, uh, even, maybe even more so than the win, uh, is was really good news for the Rangers. Yeah, I think. Listen, I I think that in um, uh, in the whole idea of, of naming Mike Miner your number one and and really kind of uh, using the word ace in association with him. Um, Chris Woodward has gotten the most out of him. I, I think Mike has always wanted to believe inside that he was that kind of pitcher and that maybe some others' expectations were holding him back, and, and, and so he lacked a little bit of self, self-confidence. Um, but what we're seeing now is, yeah, there have been some days where he's gotten his pitch count up high and he hasn't gone as deep as you'd like him to go, but he's still giving you six innings of one or two runs. You know, he's given you a chance to win even on his bad days. And then last night he gets out and, and admittedly said, look, this is one of those situations where in the past, you know, I walk the first guy, give up a homer to the second guy, feel like I don't know if I've got great stuff. And you can give in to that feeling. And he had, he acknowledged, I, I made a point this year that I was not going to give in to that feeling of you don't have it, you know, you can't compete, blah, 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 blah. And really, I think that has taken him to another level. And then you look up, you know, and at the end of the night, he's he's pitched deeper into the game than Chris Sale did. Um, Sale went seven and, and was his typical dominant self. But Mike Miner went eight innings the Rangers in the game, did not allow anything more, and it allowed this team to do something they hadn't done all year, which is win a game that they, they trailed after eight innings, because he held things right where they were. The Rangers scratched together an unearned run against Sale, and then everything else fell together. I just, I, you know, you have been on the forefront of the case of the Rangers re-sign Mike Miner rather than look at him as a trade piece, and the more I see, the longer the sample goes. And, I mean, we're talking about over the last 365 days, we're talking about a guy who is, uh, I believe I just calculated this, uh, fifth in baseball in, in ERA and, and third in the American League, um, just ahead of Justin Verlander and, and Trevor Bauer. Um, this is a guy who might welcome a shorter-term extension in a two- or three-year range and a guy who, you know, could – is, I think has really tapped into to a deeper part of himself uh, as, as a competitor. And uh, it, it's been as shrewd a pitching move as the Rangers have ever made, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, that's that's a low bar. But, uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, there's no question about that of what he's been able to do and, and, uh, and what they've gotten from him. And, and, I, and, and here to the, to the point about what um, you know, the Rangers are going to do uh, uh, over the next month, uh, leading up to the trade deadline, and where they're going to be. Uh, I don't, you know. First of all, I think we both agree there's no way they're going to be uh, big buyers. They might go out and add a piece, but it's not going to be. Uh, they're not trading uh, their. Um, they're not t- trading any prospects. They're not going to do anything to detract from this rebuild that they're they're doing. I think for for me, what will uh, be the determining factor is: Will they get rid of anybody? Will they get rid of Mike Miner? Will they trade Lance Lynn? Um, and uh, I, I think how how would you how would you uh, uh, characterize what the Rangers might do if they decide? Well, we're not going to sell off. Are you going to call that a uh, 
uh, kind of a, uh, I don't know. How, how do, how do you I, the, the term I used with John Daniels last night when I, I talked with him for a few minutes last night, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm creating anything unusual, but the term I used was hold. And yeah. um, that might be a situation where the, Rangers, where the Rangers find themselves. And they might also find themselves in a position where there are some guys that they find have value to other teams. Um, Maybe see, maybe even a guy once they get completely healthy and and on the uh, and and on the men like, like say or Logan Forsythe who might have more value to a National League team um, that they might move, but then also add somebody else. I mean, there, there's there's a lot of different ways than to just tear this thing down. to you're going to buy or you're going to sell? Um, I don't think that it makes a lot of sense for the Rangers to go all in and and just add one piece after another. I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense for the Rangers to go out and pursue Madison Bumgarner because he is a he's a rental. Um, but if you feel like you're ahead of schedule on the rebuild and you could go add a controllable pitcher, now that's a little bit different story. Is that somebody you'd be willing to trade somebody a prospect for? I don't know that that's a scenario that the Rangers are fully entertaining yet, but I think it has at least crept into into the back of their minds about could we go out and add a controllable starter. Um, I don't see this team, unless this next month goes uh, really poorly, I don't see this team just being in the whole, wholesale, fire sale kind of mode. Um they have put themselves in a position to be a contender for the wild card. Um, and even though that might be a long shot at a deep run in the playoffs, the name of this game is, is to compete. And I don't think you want to sacrifice competition um, for the idea of, well, maybe we can get some pieces here for later on. I think if you've got a chance to compete come July, you try and compete. Now, you may try and do it with a realistic approach, which is we're not going to go give away the farm this year for, for some rental players. But I think there are some, there are some methods and, and uh, ways that they could go to potentially tune this team up just a little bit. Um, and it may also look kind of unusual to people. You may see them move a piece or two and at the same time go out and add a piece or two. See, here's the one thing for me, you know, because as we know, it's not the season is not all of a piece. You know, there there are sections of a season, and guys guys play well, and what we have seen that happen. You know, the guys that they've added. I think Tom Greaves said the other day, if you look at all the uh, the parts that that John Daniels added for this season, he, he's so far hitting a thousand. Uh, it's unbelievable yeah. the production he's gotten from guys like Logan Forsythe, Hunter Pence, Danny Santana. You know, Lance well, let Land. me say, let me say this. I, I think the one qualifying factor I would throw in there is you look at Pence, you look at Forsythe, you look at Santana, they have all had it, added a lot of value. Um, Lance Lynn has been a good addition. Uh, Jesse Chavez has been a good addition. But we're sitting here uh, again in, in, in the middle of June, and the question about this team is, now what about the back end of the starting rotation? And the guys the Rangers added as depth options at the major league level have not panned out. And the guys they added as depth options at the minor league level have largely either not panned out or been hurt. So I think he's batting well. Ab- 
he's batting well above league average if we're going to make that baseball comparison. But, you know, he hasn't hit on everything. I don't think it's possible to hit on everything. No. But he's done a pretty good job this year of maximizing um, maximizing the uh, the pieces he's had. See, the, the, the issue for me with the Rangers is that how much longer can you expect Hunter Pence and Danny Santana and Logan Forsythe to play this well? Uh, they're they're – you know, uh, Hunter Pence has been a very good player, but he's also, what, 36 years old? Uh, he, he's been around a while. He was on the decline. He made some adjustments in the offseason, and those have certainly served him well. And maybe he carries us all the way through the end of the season. The issue for me is that, okay, those guys have really made up for the poor starts of, of Ruggie Odor, for the uh, kind of middling start of, of a Nomar Mazzara, um, so you have you've had those things that kind of help you there. If these guys start to flag, if you start to see a guy like a, a, a Pence or a Santana or a Forsythe start to kind of regress to to who they were before this season, then you're going to have to see these other guys really pick it up. And I think that we we have seen some signs of life from from Odor lately, uh, and not just uh, stealing home, which was pretty fun to watch. Uh, but we have seen, you know, Mazzara has started to come around as well. Do you think you're seeing enough from those guys who they were counting on to carry this lineup to project that they can pick that up and it, it, where these other guys might may fall off? I don't think that you can sit here and look and say, okay, at this point in time, Ruggie Odor is going to end up hitting 270, going to end up with a year um, – in line with what you believe his numbers are capable of being, which is, let's say, 275 with an 800 OPS. But what you could see is from now until the end of the season, he could put together that line. Yeah. And if he does, that's a, that's a significant contribution. Um, and so I'm not looking at how high the numbers go for the, for the rest of At the end of the year, I'm looking for high how the numbers go from here on out. Um, and I think he's capable of that. I thought, look, last night he took a walk, his fourth straight game with a walk, the most consecutive games of his career with a walk, and for him to take a walk against Chris Sale um, I think was significant. Um, actually, I think that was against Workman that he took the walk, but for him to take a walk that game well, one of those was still guys. a significant development. Um, Mazar's at bat that led to the go-ahead hit in the ninth inning, they were trying to pitch around him. Mazzara didn't take a pitch off during that at bat. You know, he watched three consecutive. He well, he swung at the first curveball in the dirt, took two more curveballs um, in the dirt, um, and didn't get fooled by him. Got himself to three and one, and then um, uh, the ball was left. Uh, a fourth curveball was left uh, up, and he, you know, he didn't just take that pitch off. He he it was up and it was in, and he was able to get that ball off his fist and, and, and loop it into left field for a two-run single. Um, I thought it was a really mature uh, approach to the at-bat as the at-bat took place. Uh, so I'm seeing, yeah, I'm seeing some progress from these guys, and and I think that, to your point, Kevin, yeah, you know, these guys got off to really poor starts. Um, you don't think that they were going to play that poorly all year long. And so as we have seen a little bit, you know, I think Pence is, 
He's still slugging a ton, but his, his batting average and his OBP have come down a little bit. Forsyth the same way. Um, as you see those guys start to regress a little bit, it's time for the guys who are supposed to carry the weight for this team to start carrying the weight. And, and last night, uh, in big situations, those guys did come up big. The last piece for this, for me, for the Rangers, is I, I think that they've got enough uh, offense in this lineup, and I think when, when Joy Gallo gets back and you and you, if Odor continues to improve, if he if he bunts a few times to the left side when there's nobody there, uh, and, he, and they, these guys start to make these improvements, I think they've got enough offense. You know, the question is just about pitching, as we know, not only the back end of the rotation, but in the back end of the bullpen, uh, you know, yep. we've we've seen some real issues. Had one last night. Uh, you got to you got the lead, and you're uh, you're going to win this game in Boston. Then you give up the the run in the ninth. It's not the first time that's happened. Um, I, how many blown saves do the Rangers have now? Uh, I think last night was the seventh or the eighth. Yeah, and that's and that's too many. And uh, and you know. When Jose LeClerc got back into the ninth inning the other night, uh, it did not go well. Uh, so do you, do you think he is uh, still not ready for that position? Because when, he, when, he, when Chris Woodward took him out of that position and, and, and moved him back into the game a little bit, um, he performed very well. Uh, do you think that he is not ready to, to, to take that closer's role again? Well, the thing I thought about the ninth inning the other night was he got, he got beat. It wasn't a, it wasn't a set case where he created trouble for himself. He got beat, um, and this wasn't you know missing the strike zone by a foot like he was earlier. Right. So uh, it was unfortunate timing, but I I don't know that even though the it was a poor result, I don't know that I would lump it in with where I would have lumped in the early in the season uh, out. And I do think that. For where the Rangers are and what's taking place, I think Sean Kelly has performed very ably for this club for, for the first three months. But I don't know, you know, he's never really been a closer. I do think it's time to take another look at, at, at LeClerc and see if he can do the job. Because they can't, one thing this team can't afford to do is lose games where they have an opportunity to win. Um, it does not have – this team does not have the wherewithal to um, waste wins. No. Well, no team does. You, you can't – there's nothing more demoralizing than a closer who fails. Uh, and so that, that's, uh, that's a big issue for the Rangers going forward. But I, I, I'm, it's going to be fun watching this to see if they can put together something to remain competitive for the rest of the year. Uh, I'm going to bet that they will, uh, just watching them play. I, I, it's, uh, I think there's enough good pieces on this team that they can sustain that. My question is going to be how far is John Daniels willing to go to, to keep that up without sacrificing what they thought was a rebuild year and without sacrificing the, anything from the farm system. Uh, I'm not saying that that would necessarily be a bad idea to trade a, a prospect or, or, or two, to get something you think can help you compete this year. It's just one of those things. It's got to be something that can help you compete this year and going and forward. And going forward. Just, no no question about I, that. I, I, yeah. Unless somebody's going to give you a piece. Like, I, I could see the Rangers going out and getting, you know, somebody from the minor league 
like a veteran like Hector Noisy or, or Ty Block to, to pitch a couple games for them because those are guys that are in, in, with non-contenders at AAA that really should be just given a chance to, to pitch if they have an opportunity in the big leagues. But I don't see the Rangers going out and making a big play like they did the year that they that they traded for Cliff Lee. I don't see them going out and making a big play for Madison Bumgarner in in that rap in that role. I, I I could see them adding, you know, some fringe pieces, some some bit fringe pieces around the edge and trying to make the most out of what has been a surprising season. And I think they. You know, to some extent, they owe it to themselves. Uh, there's there's a level of integrity that I think you have to keep um, once the season starts. I don't think it's necessary to go out and say we're going to change our our direction dramatically, but I do think you say how can we accentuate what we've got and how can we how can we maximize things without changing our long term plan. I agree with that, and and you owe something to your to your clubhouse too. You know those guys in there. If you go, if if they're competitive and they're competing for that wild card spot, and they're in it, uh, or they're one or two games out of it, and and you don't do, and if you trade away a, a major piece like a Mike Miner or a Lance Lynn, uh, I think it sends a terrible message to your team, uh, and I think you might have a hard time getting those guys to believe in you going forward. Um, well, I do think, you know, it, it, it's something to be it, – it, it's certainly something to be considered. You know, one thing that Chris Chris, uh, Chris Woodward said last night after the game was these guys have believed from day one that they were a good team um, on the way to becoming a great team. And I do think that if you then take away – if you take away from that for the sake of the future, um, you potentially jeopardize the progress that you've made in, in creating that mindset, that level of expectation, that level of accountability that does, I think, play an integral but not quantifiable role in, in creating a championship club and a championship culture. Well, that was my favorite phrase you've ever said. Integral, what did you say, but not not quantifiable, integral. Correct. Integral, but not quantifiable. I'm going to give that to Jalen Rose because I think he he would like to use that. Wow. He's not a huge fan of analytics either. Oh man! I like I, it. And I, I don't want to say that. I mean, I'm a fan of analytics. Uh, I think I, I think Jalen Rose is a fan of analytics. I think you have to be a fan of analytics, but I also think you have to also understand that this is a game that is still played by humans. And that, that human emotions also have an impact in, in in every element, and so you have to be aware of what is the culture that I'm creating, and and it, it, do I do long term damage by taking away from that culture? And I I, I think that's I just think it's a I think it's a salient point for this team to consider. They've been using quantifiable, salient. Well, he's just really expanding his vocabulary, isn't he, isn't he Brian? Uh, by bounds, yes. Yeah, by bounds. All right, listen, before we close out this Rangers podcast, I thought now would be a nice time for us just to, to mention our old pal, Jerry Fraley, who, who, who passed away after a, a two-year battle with cancer. We had a memorial service uh, that uh, Evan pretty much ran 
uh, last Saturday out at the ballpark. Very nice. A lot of people came from all over the place, scouts, uh, front office people, uh, baseball writers, uh, friends, family. It was, uh, I, I would guess, about 150 people uh, at that all-you-can-eat grill, whatever they call that, up there overlooking the, the field. A very nice uh, gathering, and uh, and Evan, uh, you did a terrific job emceeing uh, that thing and, and putting it all together. I thought we would uh, just tell people a couple of the stories uh, about Jerry that we we didn't go over and and the stuff that we wrote after his death. Uh, and uh, and I wanted to, to tell first of all, I'm going to tell the computer story because uh, that's one of our favorites, uh, mine and yours. Uh, the time that uh, Jerry was in uh, Port Charlotte and his laptop broke down. And the rest of us, you know, would just would, uh, you know, call the office and say, hey, send me a new laptop. But not Jerry, you know, for all for all the uh, uh, bluster and everything about, else about Jerry. He was a company man to the core. And he just decided that he was going to get it fixed himself. So he, he looks it up somewhere and finds this repair shop and he goes and when he gets there it turns out that somebody's just running it out of their garage a mom and pop operation and he walks into the garage and he puts his laptop down in front of uh this guy who proceeds to act like he'd just been he'd just seen the crown jewels uh the guy just goes off whoo boy look at this one mabel it's got all kinds of keys on it uh and we were we were not uh if 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 Evan and I had been there to actually see this, we we would have died laughing because the funny part about it was as as Jerry would embellish the story every time he told it was not so much the telling of it, just the imagining Jerry's face as this was all going on because he was not the type to suffer fools gladly. Evan, Evan, did we lose Evan? You should be there. I'm sorry. You have to you have to picture Port Charlotte a little bit in, in this particular story. Did the old um, man fix back. the computer? Yeah, the old. You know, that's a good question. I don't even know. Did the, the old computer man computer did not get the computer did not get fixed. It did not get fixed. Um, but uh. let's you know, Port Charlotte in the late 1990s was kind of a depressed area, and it wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of things. And we, of course, being sports writers spent a lot of time making fun of kind of backward things that we saw in Port Charlotte. And and here's the deal. You know, Fraley was a reporter, right? Jerry was a reporter first and foremost. So he brought back the details that he had gone to this place. It was in a garage. The guy looked at him like he was, you know, from out of space. Uh, and then, Kevin, because you and I, we're the wordsmiths, right? Uh, we're yeah, the yeah, creative right. ones. We may have embellished the story just a little bit. Just a little. I don't know that the fellow's wife's name was Mabel. Um, I, I don't know that that he actually uttered, look at all these keys and stuff. Um, but it, it was, you kind of just kind of got that feeling with, with Frails that those were the kinds of things that he would encounter. Yeah. Um, I will say this, you know, it, it, you told a story at the uh, at the service uh, during your really, in, in addition to your incredible obit, you you did a wonderful job summing up Jerry kind of as as, as, as the cleanup hitter in in our little group of speakers at the service. 
Um, and I believe you told the story about the final day of work at the Philadelphia Bulletin when um, yeah. a photographer was there and was for some reason had decided to train his camera on Jerry. And I think he said Braley did warn the photographer before the photographer did not move um, to get out of Braley's way. And when that didn't happen, Jerry punched the camera. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he warned him twice. I think twice is plenty. You know, at that point, you're you're on your own. Uh, so yeah. But I also want to say that this is um, uh, that's not the only time. No, <laughs> no, no. Well, there was, you know, there was, there was a, a, a before I forget because I forgot to tell this story the other day, and uh, I was trying to get in and out because we had uh, several speakers and people wanted to talk. Uh, there was also the Tony Twist incident, uh, where the where we threw Jerry onto the hockey coverage as we would do occasionally, and you know in most places when you're when you're thrown onto a beat, it's not your primary beat. Your object is just to fly under the radar. You know, don't make any, don't screw up, don't make a mess. Just just get in, get out. And that was not Jerry. And uh, so he's walking past uh, the same, some of the St. Louis Blues players. And Tony Twist was a goon for the, for the Blues back then. And uh, as uh, as the story was told, uh, Twist was a, being a real jerk and uh, said uh, as Jerry walked past, he said, "Yeah, the media buffet is that way." And without even a blink, Jerry turns and says, "And the healthy scratch buffet is that way." And then it was my understanding that they were nose to nose for a few seconds before somebody else broke it up. Uh, but I mean, who who comes up with that on the spur of the moment like that? I mean, most of the rest of us are just shocked when someone says something out of the blue. You no, know, we just awkwardly laugh at somebody making fun and just kind of oh, okay, go on. Um, but I, I just I did want to point out that uh, you know the Georgia Florida game. Uh, is everything that the Texas OU game is in terms of uh, atmosphere. And when Jerry was at the Journal-Constitution in Atlanta, there apparently was a story that also existed that at the Georgia-Florida game one year, uh, the media was held in a very small little holding area post-game before they were allowed into the Georgia locker room. And there was a guy with a TV camera um, who was trying to get a white balance, basically, I think, on Fraley's white shirt. Uh, and that didn't end well. Um, <laughs> I believe Jerry also warned him before punching out the light on top of the TV camera. Um, oh, man. I was just caught. Last night, I got an email from, of all people, Stan Caston, who has known Jerry for 35 years, 40 years, really, going back to their days in Atlanta together when Stan was running the Hawks and then eventually the Braves, and now obviously Stan has for a long time been with the Dodgers. Uh, and he wanted to get a videotape that he has um, uh, to Fraley's kids of an incident that apparently happened during the strike uh, between 94 and 95 when Fraley and uh, uh, it may have been a CNN photographer had gotten into it over the CNN photographer infringing upon his space. So... Um, I am going to get the, his boys that that video, um, but this is who he was. You know, it was he didn't like you say he didn't suffer fools. He saw everything in black and white, um, and uh, it just wasn't. It, it, 
crazy stuff that you heard about in the newspaper industry, you know, with Jerry, a lot of it actually happened. I, I One story that I don't think ever got told, and I, I know you and I have laughed about this, and I'm not going to mention the reporter's name, um, but it was a nice man who had worked for um, an out-of-town newspaper uh, who used to come to spring training. And, and back in the old days in Port Charlotte, uh, the Dallas Morning News and Star Telegram shared a press uh, shared our own little private booth because the stadium, who knows who designed that stadium, if, but whatever. There was a main press box, and then there was, for some reason, a Morning News Star Telegram shared press box, which was a chapter all to itself since the Morning News and the Star Telegram refused to even acknowledge each other's existence. And so basically that press box was, there was awkward silence throughout the entire game. Well, this gentleman had come into town for spring training, and um, I was still new with the paper, and he looked at me and and he said, uh, Hey, Evan, you mind if I, if I sit up here for, for the game? And he was a friendly guy, had kind of a twang in his voice. He was kind of foghorn leghorn. And, um, you know, I really was trying to come up with, like, something that – because Jerry was sitting next to me, and I was trying to come up with something that would uh, appease this fella and at the same time not inflame Fraley. And I was stammering and stammering and stammering. And before I could get anything out, Fraley goes – if you want to sit up here, keep your damn yap shut. <laughs> Quit your yapping. <laughs> the poor gentleman, his face turned red. Um, I, I think in the embellishment that you and I have told of the, over this story, a tear started to form in his eye, um, and he was never seen again. And never seen again. I think he got out of the business right after that. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want to say, because we tell these stories about Jerry, because other people like Holly, really nice people like Holly Kane, our former autos writer, she comes and tells just a wonderful story about what Jerry did for her and, and how he wrote uh, really nice notes to his uh, her kids. And, and, and he, of course he would do that. Of course, Jerry could be a sweetheart as well. I think that Paul Hagen put it really well when he said that he had a heightened sense of right and wrong. And there was not much room for gray. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a perfectly uh, that was the perfect way to put it about Jerry. He was just he he was in many ways, and for me and you both, uh, a very complex individual who could make your life really difficult at times, and also make it really wonderful. It was just uh, it was just a really unusual relationship. And you know. One of the things I've told people is that uh, Jerry was a larger-than-life character, uh, in, both in the newspaper business and in just in life in general. And I always just give those kind of people a little extra room. And, and, and for right or wrong, I, just, I think that the world needs those kind of people, and you need to give them a little room to, to operate. Well, absolutely. They need fools like me, and then they need people like Fraley to kind of counterbalance that a little bit. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, he, he, uh, I miss him. Um, I'm glad we were able to have this, this, this celebration of life for his family and particularly for his boys for whom he was so proud of. Um, I'm left with your words that you said at, at the end of your talk about how you had texted him and, and told him that you loved him. 
um, and that you and that he was the greatest sports writer you ever knew. And you've known some greats, um, and you have a way with with being really candid and honest with people. And um, that's what that's what Jerry was. And I don't know that there's I don't know that there's a greater thing that you could put on if he had an epitaph than that that this is this is a guy who lived to be a sports writer and he had a unique you know i think i think there were times when i referred to him to you when we talked about the politics of understanding the newsroom versus the politics of understanding clubhouses is that in some ways he was an idiot savant you know he could walk into any clubhouse in any sport in in america and completely understand that dynamic intimately immediately and then you know he worked in a newsroom for 30 years and you were like Frail, just don't yell at this person or don't. <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and he he just was. He was a special person. I mean, I hope I'm not boring people by going on and on about this guy, but he lived he lived to be a sports writer. Um, he did it until the last possible day that he could. Um, and even up until that day, he did it well. And I just, um, I'm glad that the people of Dallas-Fort Worth had, had Jerry in their lives, um, whether they agreed with him or didn't agree with him. Um, I'm glad he was a presence there on baseball because I think it's made all of us more aware and it's made our, our baseball coverage um, better because of it. And I think he's, he's had a positive influence on on a number of people, even guys who considered him competition or the enemy. Uh, and I'll just finish out with this, that, you know, we open this up for people to say a few words about Jerry um, on their own at the end of, of our ceremony. And in typically awkward fashion, um, our friend T.R. Sullivan walked to the front of the room, um, kind of stumbled up there, grabbed the microphone when everybody else was just kind of raising their hand. Somebody would bring a microphone up to them and then put together this, this, this very heartfelt tribute to what he learned from being around Jerry, even though they basically did not speak for over 25 years. And, and I think it warmed everybody in the, in the room's heart to know that after Jerry was diagnosed with cancer, TR went to him and gave him some words of, of, of encouragement and, and, and fellowship. And last year when TR had suffered a heart attack, uh, Jerry did the same. And I, I thought that was, that was a great closing chapter for, for, for that whole thing. And I know we've gone on and on about the fraternity of sports writers and all this, but um, uh, we, are, we are characters and we – I don't know what else to say. I'm just kind of stumbling over oh, well, here and about to get a little bit emotional. Well, I think you've done a very good job of it, and I'm glad you brought up the part about T.R. because that said a lot. It said a lot about T.R. that he would get up there and say that after the relationship that they had, but also I was glad, too, that they were able to kind of reconcile some of those things. So that's uh, that's our Rangers podcast for the day, uh, and we leave your kind of a little bit of a down note, but we couldn't do that without saying something about Jerry one more time. Thanks, Evan. Have a good uh, time. It's a, downer, it's a downer that he's gone, man. But what a what a ride it was, and and really, I mean, for for not having any idea how you would potentially conduct a a celebration of life service, I was so happy with the number of people that showed up, 
who said such amazing things, and the fact that there were 150 people there, and probably 130 of them showed up wearing Hawaiian shirts. Yeah, that was a good look. Such a tribute to, to, to Jerry. Yes, so, it was. All um, right, we'll, we'll draw on without him, and it means you'll probably do a little bit more baseball, which uh, is always good for us, too. And um, Thanks, Kevin. Thank you, Evan. There goes Evan Grant. Off to have some more uh, stuffed lobster. Lobster. More lobster. Another preparation of lobster. Yeah, there we go. More lobster for Evan. There goes Evan Grant. Uh, And that's our baseball podcast. We've had that in our Cowboys podcast as well. So for everybody from in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Rangers Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.